So you're back from Budapest. Yeah. You were gone all of four weeks, I want to say. It was closer to seven weeks. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was way off then. <laughs> so you weren't gone for as long as you expected to be, but you're longer than I guessed. Well, yeah, that's well. I was uh, I, I was throwing around numbers at different points between one and three months. Actually, I, I think the number actually got extended to six months, but I couldn't be in Budapest the entire time. I was also toying with the idea of continuing the trip to somewhere like Southeast Asia, talking about like Thailand or something like that. Yeah, you'd, you'd considered a couple of different places. Yeah, that's correct. But I decided to come back here I, I th for many reasons, but I think the biggest reason was I didn't feel like I deserved the life of a traveler. In a sense, I'm thinking like, well, if I am to to deserve this life or for it to be justifiable in a certain sense, I need to actually be making money. And I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> doing that. So I was like, oh man, I, I should go back to a place where I can I can live minimally and not have a whole lot of financial outlay so that I can I can like justify this goofing off period that I'm having. And I didn't feel like I was doing that over in Budapest. As I'm saying this, I'm wondering whether this is just another like another backward rational, rationalization thing. Um, in other words, trying to trying to make sense of something that happened, even though it's not necessarily the thing that happened to me. I'm not quite sure. You had mentioned that you wanted to bring up a a parallel story to a book you'd read. That's that's part of it. So the book that I'm the book that we're talking about is So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport, which I have not read, but I assume you took enough to heart to remember a story at the beginning and the end of it from what you've told me. Yeah, yeah. I I I guess the basic thesis of the book is don't do what Corey did. Uh, All right, so you didn't what, take the book to heart, you just remembered the book. Yeah, yeah. So so I, I sometimes I'll read a book and be like, okay, that's a nice message, and then I'll go do something totally contrary to it. And that's okay, because I don't need to commit an entire lifetime to living out the, the advice of a certain book. I can like just put the advice in my back pocket and say, okay, for a year, I'm going to do something else, and that's fine, or or for a certain period of time. So... Anyway, the story in So Good They Can't Ignore You at the beginning and then it's followed up at the end of the book is there's this guy, his name is Charles, maybe, but we'll call him Charles, Charles, and he isn't happy with his job, so he decides to go do something more meaningful with his life. He quits his job and becomes a monk. He goes to Tibet and he studies with the monks doing things like Zen cones and He's trying to find meaning by doing this, but he doesn't find it. Ultimately, one day he's walking around in the woods considering one of these, one of these monastic puzzles, and he's thinking to himself, this is not what I was expecting. Not that I was expecting a whole lot, but I was expecting more of a feeling of meaning. That's what Charles said. And he had an emotional breakdown. He started laying on the floor of the woods and he started crying. And he thought to himself, this wasn't worth it. I shouldn't have quit my job. 
um, trying to come and find the meaning in life in the way that I've done was a mistake. Not not to totally derail that story, but just as a as what seems to be an important tangent that comes up a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, in Silicon Valley in particular, which is basically the model for workaholism in this day and age, so it ends up being pertinent in all these conversations, there is a constant fascination with a whitewashed version of Eastern Asiatic Buddhist <laughs> stoicism where the, this concept of the austere life where you can derive meaning kind of from whole cloth by going into the mountains and being quiet for a long time yeah. is so artificial as to be almost non-existent even within the cultures it's practiced in. Um, I mean, these monks don't represent a massive percentage of the Tibetan population. There are a couple of guys that lead a particularly eccentric lifestyle, a very individualistic lifestyle yeah. that is appealing to the individualism of the Western world in a way that I'm pretty sure confuses us to such a degree that we consider it to be like this divine, almost like apotheotic height that life can reach. Um, and it's funny, it's funny to see that parallel because, I mean, all you did was... You, you just traveled to another country. You changed your perspective, but not necessarily in this way. You didn't go to the top of a mountain. Yeah, that's right. And, and the whole reason that I went over to Budapest, actually, it's not Budapest in particular, but the whole reason that I traveled at all was to flex my freedom muscles. Like, hey, I can do this now. Like, I quit, I quit the job. I saved the money so that I could go and start something for myself. It didn't matter where exactly I was to travel, but the fact that I had the freedom to do so encouraged me to go take advantage of it. So w when somebody asked me why Budapest, I need to, I need to, change the direction of the conversation and and not focus so much on budapest in particular but traveling just generally speaking the whole reason i did it was so that i could flex those freedom muscles but i found out that it's just okay and just okay wasn't good enough so i landed back here yeah but in the grand scheme of the possibility of revelation which i I have to imagine you had tempered expectations. I mean, I, I don't. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I, I, you straight up expected like the clouds to open. That's correct. Yeah, that's I, correct. I wasn't feeling anything like that. But I mean, you, you you were just you were expecting some kind of tweak. You were expecting something that you couldn't get here over there. Was there anything over there that you don't get or couldn't get here? Um, being an outsider was something that I can't get here. I mean, well, not quite as much like walking around to different stores where I don't like, I don't understand the language. I don't know like what these spices are at the grocery store. So it's like more difficult to cook and stuff like that. And not being able to make small talk in the way that I do here in the U S was a different perspective um, favorable in some instances and unfavorable in others. I would probably say that on average it was more unfavorable than favorable um but it was a nice it was actually a nice perspective to get like that the one of the outsider so in that sense um in that sense the trip was a win because i got something that i could not have gotten here and of course the trip didn't take three to six months it did only take seven weeks and i yeah. assume i assume the reason you came back exactly when you did and the reason you left exactly when you did was because the airfare was favorable uh 
that was part of it, but it was more just like, I'm, I'm done with this. I, I could have done another month and the airfare would have been similar. But, you know, one of, one of the other big things was I thought that it was going to be relatively inexpensive to live over there. Um, turns out that at least the way I was doing it, it was not so, it wasn't horribly expensive, but it wasn't this, the fantastic savings that I thought I was going to get. I mean, I understand that you may be hesitant to use quantitative measures because I'm your landlord, but was it more or less expensive than living here? It was more expensive. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeez. Well, well, we're not, we're not, we can't only talk about rent. Well, no, um, I, I understand, but even accounting for that, I'm surprised by that. Yeah, well, I could, I could have made it cheaper to live there, um, but it was, you know, the logistical challenges of like moving around the city, um, like getting myself set up for, for working, for like going to the gym, for all the things that I wanted to do. I found it, I ended up wanting to splurge on things to save me time. Like I, I ended up going to the restaurants a whole lot. Um, I took buses more than walking, probably more than I should have and, and things like that. Also for my last month there, I rented, well, for the last like three weeks there, I rented space at a co-working place um, because the apartment that I had was, the internet was going out and it was kind of loud there. Like they were doing construction on one of the adjacent properties. So it's like, okay, I'm just going to go to the co-working place instead. So that was more money. Um, so bottom line, it's like, okay, I'm going to spend more money. I have to get like another apartment. Logistically, this is a challenge. Whereas if I can go, if I go back to David's house, then I know, I know what I'm getting into. Like I know the environment there. I know that it's relatively inexpensive to live there. Um, and it seems like, like kind of looking at myself from an outside perspective, it seems in a certain sense more responsible than living out in Europe somewhere. Um, whether or not that's the case, eh, that's to be debated, I suppose. <laughs> but I I guess I'm a victim for like seeming versus actual being like, like what is, what is the, uh, how do other people perceive me? That's more important than I like to admit, but that's something that's, uh, that's on my mind. Was that one of the appeals of the outsider phenomenon being more well-defined? Uh, rephrase that. You were an outsider in Hungary because yeah. you do not speak the language, yeah, at least in part. Yeah, I didn't grow up there, so we don't we don't share the same culture. That codifies the degree to which you're an outsider in a way that it does not here, yeah. because you certainly. Uh, we played a game at a party that happened a couple days ago yeah. at a friend's house called Title <laughs> Recall. Um, and I did, I did very poorly. The distinguishing the feature of which is that neither of us are very good at those kinds of games. Uh -huh. uh, title recall for those who don't happen to know, which I assume isn't terribly many people in our age bracket. Uh, you put the names of a bunch of things in a dish and you have to either act them out or describe them to your team and you get points when they guess those things as rapidly po as possible. Um, and both of us sit and ponder each title <laughs> for far too long. Yeah. Um, I apparently, when I was doing my 
initial phase of this where you're allowed to talk prefaced every topic with we're talking about which wastes three seconds at the very front of like, like every we're talking clue. about a movie yeah for instance we're, we're i don't think about, it's a wait it, it yes it requires three seconds to say it but it's not a waste of three seconds it it certainly slowed me down <laughs> um but the 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 moral of this is that we are uh we're both shitty at generic yeah, social activities yeah. so the, so i was an outsider there yes too. so you're kind of an alien wherever you go yes yeah, it's, it's true. just you have an excuse when you're in hungary and you really don't have an excuse <laughs> when you're here yeah yeah so i guess that was part of the appeal it's like okay i'm perpetually an alien an outsider so if i go to hungary then it's okay i can do that yeah but when i'm here eh, it, okay you have let i have less of an excuse absolutely I do want to keep beating on this drum of optimism because I think it's I think it's important for learning lessons out of it. Like we can we can harp on why you came back all yeah. day and I, I for whatever reason I mean my mom keeps asking me because she hasn't she's only I don't even think you two have run into each other since you've been back. That's correct. Yeah, she keeps asking me how Budapest was and I keep telling her I haven't asked cuz I don't care. Yeah. Um, and it's not just because I've been like waiting to do this talk publicly. It's because I really, I really don't like if you had brought something back that was of natural consequence, I feel like you would have told me already. So I'm yeah. really not that interested in the experience itself. But the angle again, like the outsider thing, can you name a second thing about Hungary that you preferred to the United States or that you got out of the trip? Um, whether it's site specific or not moving thousands of miles away from any support network you plausibly had was there any other benefit no i don't think so um like this is just one of the things that was sitting there on my bucket list like i want to go do the international travel thing and like that was the benefit like i got to tick that box on the list but other than that surprisingly um the answer has to be no and I'm not saying that from a point of like, oh, I'm I'm disappointed. Um, okay, well, yes, actually, I am a little bit disappointed. Yeah, feel free to be disappointed about I, that. I, I am a little bit disappointed, but on the other hand, I'm glad to have found out that this is the case, at least for me. Um, so, so I no longer have to wonder whether I'm missing out on something by traveling internationally, by like going to by going to do the digital nomad thing somewhere else. Like, I. I no longer have to wonder whether that's for me because I went out and I discovered, nope, I don't think that's for me. How much was that eating at you? Um, no, it, I know it's hard to actually like remember that. Yeah, yeah, honestly, but I mean, you did. It was it was enough that you did it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that was actually one of the reasons that I was interested in leaving my job. It's uh, so so I I worked for a while. Uh, as an actuary and i was i was kind of resentful while doing so because oh man i don't have any freedom to like go live in europe for a little while that sucks <laughs> and that actually did eat at me a bit um while i was in that position while i while i had that job that is but now that i've that i've given myself that experience well that i've that i've done it um I don't think that it's going to be as much of a thing that eats at me going forward. So now that you're back in this freshly painted uh, pale green room, <laughs> which is almost exactly the color it was when you left, I think it's a little slightly lighter shade of green. Uh -huh. uh, what are you doing in this room now? 
I'm still working on the website that I've been working on for the last several months. Plug that shit. Habitest.com is the community of re relentless habit developers that never let each other off the hook. All right. At least that was the intention. Um, while I was in Budapest, for the first month there, I barely worked on that on the website at all because I was saying, well, okay, indirectly I was working on it in the sense that I thought I was going to go and develop like version two of it. Um, and version two was going to, I was working on learning React Native, which is the way to develop Android and iOS apps simultaneously because some of the feedback that I got on it was, hey, this thing needs to be an app. Like it's 2018, web apps are basically irrelevant now. Okay, yeah, I understand that the website works on a cell phone, but it's not enough to just work on a cell phone like like through a web browser. That's not okay. This, and you want a cool icon that you can put on your phone. Of course, yeah. That's a, a cool icon that's not just the letter H on my home screen. Are you, are you gonna do that logo yourself? Or you're gonna outsource? Well... <laughs> It probably would be outsourced, but at the rate that I'm going with it right now, it's never going to happen. So that was December. I just described December where I was not, not only was I um, learning, was I going through tutorial videos on React Native? That's the, the framework they use to make apps on, I, on iPhones and Android phones. For reference, December 2017 was two months ago. Yes, that's correct. Um, so through December I was doing that, but then in January I thought about it again and it's like, okay, this, what I was doing in December, 2017, learning, learning this framework was just a way for me to procrastinate on one of the important parts of making something, which is putting it in front of more people. Yeah, I, I did that a little bit in October. I asked a couple people like, Hey, take a look at this website. What do you think? Um, but I didn't do that. I, I just did that for like friends and family and I didn't go out and, and put myself out in front of strangers. So through that's not entirely fair. You got yourself kicked off Reddit trying to do that. That was in January though. Oh, okay. So, so that, yeah, we're getting there. Okay. So, so in January <laughs> I, I made, I made it my, my mission what, my mission was not to get kicked off of Reddit, but it ended up happening. Yeah. So, so what I was doing was, <laughs> I was I was sending out messages and putting up posts on the subreddit called "Get Disciplined," and I thought that Habitus could be helpful. Habitus is the name of the website. I thought that it could be helpful to a lot of the people on Get Disciplined. Like they were describing that they were actually having problems. Um, with bad habits or that they wanted to get into a good habit. And I really thought that I could help out. And in fact, I was doing so for some of the people. So for example, one of the posts that I commented on and then sent a personal message about was there was this girl who after work, she would come home and just turn on her television, even though she didn't want to. It was just there and it was easy to do it. So in spite of the fact that she wanted to spend more time hanging out with friends, working on art projects and so on, she would turn on the television. And I suggested to her in one of these posts and maybe even via private message, you need to do something to prevent yourself, to, to set up your environment 
so that you don't automatically turn on the television when you get home. And she actually found it helpful. She found my suggestion helpful and she ended up using habit test for three weeks. Um, and during those three weeks, she put in a bunch of check boxes that said, instead of turning on the television when I get home, instead, every time that I, that I put on the television, I'm going to have to take the power cord out of the drawer and plug the power cord into the TV because she would end up taking the power cord out of the TV as a preventive measure against just turning it on so easily. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the people that I helped. Um, and I sent out a bunch more messages like that, but eventually the moderators didn't like it. Yeah. And they said, you know, you can't do this anymore. They suspended me for three days, but I, you know, that, that wasn't really part of my schedule. Like I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't be suspended for three days. So after two days, what I did was to circumvent the ban, the suspension by getting a different account and continuing what I was doing, sending out a certain number of messages per day. I think I was sending out five per day at that point. And then the mods were like, uh, uh I don't think so. They issued both <laughs> accounts, a permanent ban at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened. I assume that's something they deal with on a regular basis. So, oh, of course. Yeah, of course. No. Um, no free self-promotion. But I was contributing to the community and people were loving it. No, you're, you're right. You're right. I mean, that's that's sort of the stance that everybody takes on that kind of stuff. But of course. And, and it's like, okay, if you send out if you send out 100 posts and or direct messages, even if you're helpful to 95 of the people and then five of the people are not interested or they, they are offended in some sense at the at the self-promotion, it really just takes one person and maybe I have five out of a hundred that are gonna report me to the moderators. Yep. And then at that point, the mods can go into my to my account history and see like, whoa, look at all these private messages this guy's sending. That's not okay, he's out. It is a strange ideological priority in sort of a capitalist society that we do this. I remember, I. I I don't remember exactly who it was who was arguing the point, but it was a lawyer. It was, I don't think it was the ACLU, but it was some First Amendment-esque lawyer operating pro bono um, who was defending telemarketing on the basis that as opposed to uh, political campaigning, canvassing over uh, robocalls, mm -hmm. uh, telemarketers were theoretically um, proffering things that people might actually want. Yeah. Um, and on that basis alone, even though there is the there's there's this like implicit ickiness about capitalism in that way and therefore about marketing and advertising uh -huh. that we have this automatic stigma against it, um, because in your case, what you were hawking, even if someone had to pay for it in yes. some capacity, which unhabit test, to be clear, there is no advert. There is no revenue model at this point. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and yet that. What you were offering to the people in that subreddit is almost precisely what they were looking for. Uh -huh. But because it was specific to you and had the potential of becoming this revenue model, cycles back to being about capitalism and therefore uh, beneath the contempt of the moderators <laughs> on Reddit. And that's such that's such a strange paradox. Like, I, I understand emotionally how that works because yeah. I myself hate ads in literally all of their forms. Sure. But it is, it is just, a, it's a strange thing because you really were, um, at some point, the primary offense against Reddit 
in much the same way that Facebook designs their news feeds so that you see the headline, a clip of the news article, and your friends comment about it mm-hmm. so that you don't feel the need to click on it. The capital offense is that you might not be on Facebook in two clicks. <laughs> right. And in Reddit's case, if you go to Habitest and stay there because it's a solution to your problem, Reddit is cut out of the loop. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not the only thing, though. I mean, the the additional thing is that the the individuals who I was addressing could feel like there's this sleazy guy, me, trying to hawk something at them. And even though the sleazy guy is saying, oh, this is free, I want you to have a free account for life, which, by the way, is what I was saying. I was going to yeah. say, like, like every single person that uses this right now, I'm going to give them a free account for life because I'm just trying to get feedback on the site. Sure. So that, yes, it will help me. The payment it is in a less tangible form. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so it was... It was my attempt to provide a mutually beneficial thing, but it's it's difficult. I shouldn't say difficult. It's not the it's not the default for somebody to think that this is going to be a mutually beneficial. The the default is to be on guard against against some some kind of advertising. And and how absurd is it that that's true? I mean, it's it's, it's just. It, I don't think that it is. But, I don't think that it is. But how how sleazy can you possibly be in a model where, unless you were literally doing something nefarious, there is no point at which the person on the other side can't just wash their hands of your operation? I mean, it'd be one thing if you were taking personal information and selling it somewhere, yeah. like, I don't know, most of the rest of <laughs> the internet. But it's not even an option. Well, I, again, I people are used to the internet and they're used to being on guard against that kind of stuff on the internet. So I'm just this, I'm just this random guy that's soliciting this, like, okay, I want to help you. Um, so you'll have to like, give me your email address and stuff like that. And, and write down your commitments on the website and stuff like that. So, uh, it's weird. I, yeah, I, I just, yeah. I, I, I see, and again, I, I feel there, there is a degree of resonance that I have with this entire attitude. Uh-huh. It's just that every time I observe this attitude at any amount of distance, it seems completely absurd. <laughs> it just doesn't, it, it, it's, it is really quite strange given how easy it is to just, as most people frankly ought to by now, have a, you know, a generic try it out email address for the things they don't want to have their bank account information. And like the ways that you can distance yourself from that are so trivial to implement in the age of the internet. Uh I mean, and most stuff still is anonymized except for Facebook in some capacity. Yeah. And and a lot of people that including Reddit, like, Uh, of course. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Like I just, it's, it's very, it's, it's a strange, I don't want to harp on it too much. It's not, it's not necessarily the point of what we were talking about. But, I mean, Habitest, you you mentioned being annoyed at a self-generated occupation. So I'm annoyed at this, this occupation that I've given myself because, you know, Habitest feels like a failure right now. Um, I, I'm still working on it because I, I made the commitment to continue working on it for several months. But... You know, when people say things to me like, like, oh, you're so brave for having quit your job and working on what you love, it makes me cringe because guess what? I, while I did love it at the beginning, I don't currently love it. Um, and that, that sucks because I could go back to a job where I'm making like 
a certain number of bucks per day doing something that I don't love or doing something of my, or the alternative is to do something of my own design, which now I've happened not to be loving anymore. So that's, that's one of the reasons that I don't love it as much is because I could be doing something, I could be just as miserable, but I could be making some bucks as opposed, <laughs> as opposed to like having the, having this nebulous like chance of getting, of getting more money later by, by continuing to work on habit tests. And I, I, I don't feel good about it. It's the bottom line. It's, but I, I want to specifically address something that I know I've mentioned on this podcast before, yeah. um, because it's one of the ways that I view um, the occupational hazards that everybody wades through. I've talked about the concept of a European versus an American occupational style, where the Europeans work for 40 hours a week so that they can do what they like to do on the weekend, and mm -hmm. Americans do what they like to do for work 80 hours a week. Yeah, uh, They do something they love for 80 hours. And the problem with the, there's a trap inherent in the American one that you have at least at this point in the life of Habitest have fallen into where um, whether whether as a passion project it was going to have legs regardless of how you approached it. Uh, you've hit a point where you're working on it 80 hours a week no. and despise it simultaneously. No, I'm not working on it 80 hours a week. I'm only working on it for 40 hours a week because that's all I can really stand right now. It's like, <laughs> like I, I, I could be working on it for longer, um, but, but I just, I, I can't stand it to the extent that like, okay, if, if I just put in 40 hours a week, then I'm done with it. So I, I, I suppose that I could be working on it more, but I'm just so frustrated by it that it's like, I'm just like allowing it to hold on by a thread right now. So then let's explore that part of it. Because yeah. like with Budapest, you came back from Budapest and I was merely interested in what you were able to take away from it. Um, what is it about Habitat that you don't like? Because this is where you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so it's it's garbage in the sense that it just, it looks bad. I don't know, like the user interface looks bad and that's something that I could improve, but. Oh, I, I don't want you to hedge that. Of course, everything could be better. Yeah, I just want yeah, to know what yeah. you're, what you're frustrated with right now, because for one reason or another, it's the case. Yeah. I mean, yes, the user, what, whatever you're going to say, of course it could be better than it is, sure. but I want to know what it is at the moment. What, what is annoying you? Okay, so so here's an example. One of the users suggested that that they be able to move the habits around, like sort the rows. Like, oh, obviously that should be the case. Like, I want to, I, I have my habits. Like, I, I got to floss, and I got to like go to the gym, and I got to go to bed on time, for instance. And that's a good order, but maybe I made it in a different order. Like the first one that I made was go to bed on time. And the second one was go to the gym. Well, you don't want to see go to bed on time before you see go to the gym on the list. So you need to be able to sort those. That is move, go to the gym above, go to bed on time, because obviously that's the, that's the order that those things should be in. So I, I got on my mission to make it so that you could actually sort these things. Okay. And it took me an absurd amount of time to like wade through my horrible spaghetti code 
because I barely ever do any refactoring. Like I never clean up after myself. I got in the bad habit of not doing that in the beginning. And now it's just like a total nightmare. The code is just like a total nightmare. That's one of the things I don't like about it. Um, they call it technical debt. I'm in a lot of technical debt. Um, but anyway, it took me an absurd amount of time to figure out how to like to to wade through that spaghetti and figure out how to sort those elements. And it's like, okay, now yes, now you can you can sort your habits on habit test. That's great. Or is it? Actually, who cares? Like that's <laughs> uh, that's that's the hugely frustrating part. Like like it doesn't it feels to me like it doesn't really even matter whether someone can sort their fucking habits on habit test because it feels like like the website is just destined for failure. So when I, and, and that, that of course is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if I, if I think that, then it's going to be true. I realize that, but I can't, I can't, um, it, it's hard for me to think any other way about it. So I, great, I've succeeded in making these rows sortable. Who cares? And that feeling of who cares is what's so frustrating about this. I guess on the front of technical debt, I will tell you as a former programmer yeah. uh, that I uh, I attempted to live my my programming life uh, technical debt free and paid for it quite dearly with my desire to program at all. So uh, <laughs> I don't know that it's necessarily bad to carry a balance there. Y well... I I am carrying too much of a balance. I think like I I I could be doing more refactor. I could be spending more of my time cleaning up cleaning up after myself than none. I think none is the wrong answer. Is there a future in the sense is going to be weird, and I'm just going to go with it. Uh, is there a future in? the programming language that you have chosen as sort of an occupation is this something you could actually do if you felt like you cared about what you were doing can you tolerate sitting a accruing technical debt for eight hours a day are, are you asking about like like by going and and working for are somebody you a else? programmer not really <laughs> i mean I, I can put I can put together programs, but like my my skill at programming like rated from one to ten is probably like a three or a four. Like I'm not very good at it. That is an interesting thing because I feel like, and this is this is a weird dichotomy that I think if we if we ever actually bothered to collaborate on anything, which we basically don't for one reason or another, I don't necessarily want to lay blame on anyone for that since it's probably mine. But um in in the pantheon of workaholism, um, you are substantially more disciplined, and I am substantially more inspired. Yeah, like uh, you, I'd agree with that. You will sit down and do something. Yeah, and I will have a million ideas for what that thing will be. Yeah. Um, and I'm not I'm not saying that either of us are necessarily deficient in one or the other. I think we're both on. I, I think on balance, we're both above average in that capacity because we have so thoroughly deflated our social skills that <laughs> were uh, what what you, my my discipline and your inspiration are above average is that what you're saying oh that without question i think even as far as inspiration and discipline uh -huh. we are mostly above average but that's that's the recipe for workaholism it's the reason why we sit down i mean i sit down and make schemes all day and you sit down and 
mostly work all day despite having absolute I mean you you are not employed and you're not making money you could do literally anything you want yeah. and you are opting to work I, that is a choice yeah. very few people would make I I, I disagree I, I think that if somebody was in my position where like I I don't I, I have I have a couple years of of like like I would be okay not working for a couple of years if I wanted to, but you're suggesting like someone would just go in my position would just go sit on the beach or something like that. I'm suggesting I, I, that they would not be able to write something on the board and then do it. Okay. Because I know way too many people who are utterly incapable of that. I, I feel like I have no other choice though. Like like if if I were to if I were to stop trying. Then. Sure you do. You could get another random generic job you don't like, like everybody else. Yeah. I get the the amount of the amount of self discipline. I mean, you, you you agreed with me out of hand that you you have this degree of discipline. Although I guess maybe you were just agreeing that by comparison you're more disciplined. Um, but I think even I think in a vacuum in any absolute terms, it's just. You, I mean, you've been working on habit tests since August of last year. Um. Yeah, that's correct. With, with I guess you could call December like kind of a, sort of a break from it because I wasn't explicitly working on the website. Um, but yeah, basically it's correct that I've been working on Habit Test since August. And right now it's mid-February 20, 2018. That's a long time to work on something that for at least two months you seem to have viscerally hated. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yes, okay. That requires a tremendous amount of discipline. But But, well... Because there I, are, I don't know uh, if it's a tremendous amount because everybody does this to a certain extent. Like, like no one's telling you to do it. Yes, that's correct. No one's telling me to do it. Like, I, I have to be my own boss in this sense. Like, like, I'm also I'm saying that people do this same thing when they have an external boss telling them to do it. And I, I know that that was my mode of being before. Like yeah. w when I was at my old job and I felt like it didn't really matter. And then I was told over and over again, like, yeah, the stuff that you just did doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> but I would keep doing it anyway, because I was in an environment where it was expected of me. Yeah. Um, and I guess I have that training and like, I've internalized that to an extent where even, even if I'm in the situation, like I described a, a couple minutes ago with moving the rows and like, who cares about this? Well, I have to do it anyway. Or and else you did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe if you came to the revelation about the who cares thing after you were done with it, but I imagine that's not true. I imagine that's correct. <laughs> I was I was thinking it during, during working the, on the process. It. And and the, the crappy thing about that is that it makes me ineffective. Like like when I'm working on something while feeling like this doesn't matter, I'm only working at like twenty five percent of my capacity. And I don't want to be working at twenty five percent capacity. Like I want, I want something that engages me, and like I'm feeling emotional about this right now because it's like, man, I, I gotta find something that like that, that I care about. But like, and I thought, I thought that this was gonna be it, and it's not. I would say that, for all the discussion we've had, that. I've been coaxing you into trying to believe that you are overtly disciplined. Um, yeah. That there is a very well-regarded trough in the development, particularly of programs. Sure. 
And you very well may be in it right now. Yeah, but but the thing about the trough is like like everyone likes to say like you're gonna be an entrepreneur, you gotta stick through it through the trough because over here there's this like there's gonna be this big spike. And if you just stick through it, you're gonna get to that point. And like rah rah rah, we're all super excited about this point that's coming if you stick through the trough. But actually for most people pursuing what I'm pursuing right now, that's not gonna be the case. Most of them, most of us, probably me included, are gonna fail. And to, to think that like, if we just stick through it, that we're eventually gonna get to the promised land, that's nice, that's nice to think that way, but it's not necessarily gonna be the case. And it's even more likely to not be the case if you're a person who's saying what I'm saying right now. Like, I don't have, I, I feel like, I don't have what it takes to be a, a a website owner, app owner, app developer, entrepreneur, whatever. I feel like I don't have what it takes because I I have because I'm able to think that way. Like I'm 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 able to think like probabilistically it's not going to happen. Like I'm going to stick through the trough, but it's actually not a trough. Like it's just it's just the normal. Like this this is how it's going to be. It's the valley. It's valley also implies there's another up like it oh it might be a big valley it might be a very large valley yeah yeah and and like i th this is another thing on the on the list that we've got here like like the whole no the whole one of the reasons that one would become an entrepreneur is because they want to like to show the world that they can make something great and I don't really feel the need to do that. And yet I'm trying to do it anyway. Like so so what what do what is it that I actually believe? Do I need to make something great? Do I need to like show the world that I can like that I can contribute something of of great value and 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 all this? Or is it is it sufficient just to like go and do a regular job? and contribute like my small part to society. And like, I, I, I'm thinking right now, like, hey, that wouldn't be so bad. But then I'm gonna go back there and find out like, well, this sucks again. I wanna go back and like be an entrepreneur again. So, so that's, that's one of the things I worry about and why, why I got emotional like a few minutes ago. Cause it's like, well, man, are you always, am I always going to oscillate between this like, this am i always going to experience this grass is greener on the other side effect throughout my life is i mean this is certainly something i can relate to and i guess coincidentally it does have something to do with inspiration in the way that it has to do with discipline in your case is is your discipline driven by your dissatisfaction Because I know my inspiration is driven by dissatisfaction. I don't think my discipline is driven by dissatisfaction. Um, the, th the thought that if anything worthwhile is going to happen, if anything worthwhile is going to come out of me, then there's going to need to be a system behind it. And there's going to be, there's going to need to be a lot of hours put into whatever it is that I decide to pursue. So if if I can't be disciplined about any of these things, then ultimately nothing of interest is going to happen. Are you suggesting that your discipline is a foregone conclusion? 
you make it sound like, okay, well, I need to be disciplined in order to do, but there's, if, if that were true, yeah. more people would have the degree of discipline you do. And I don't buy that that's all that it takes is for you to believe logically that this is a rational thing and therefore that you do it because so many people fail on the basis of succumbing to the emotional rancor of living a normal human life Mm -hmm. that prevent it prevents them from being that industrious. I mean, yes, you may fail and Habitest may go onto the trash heap of the literally probably tens of thousands of apps um, that were you know an interesting inspiration at one point and just felt but your yours went far enough that you despite not being a marketing guy despite as we prefaced this with being an, a virtually non-social person mm-hmm. have a handful of people i mean i still use habitest and i made i didn't i don't know that i made this promise to you but it was tacit that i use habitest exactly as often as i want to yeah because I don't think there's an I I think that using it dishonestly just because you're making it doesn't help. It's why I don't update it every day because occasionally I, I just don't feel like updating sure. it. Yeah, um, and I don't update it every day either. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I think that's I think that's more useful in general, both uh, for me and for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's. I mean, there is, there has to be some other part of the equation that makes you the way you are. And my again, if it's possible, if if you disagree that it's some sort of like internal dissatisfaction, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I need another answer because <laughs> I, I don't I don't buy that by itself. So so why you're asking why you can't am be disciplined? You you can't be disciplined just because that's reasonable. <laughs> that, that just does that fair, just fair doesn't enough. make sense. Well. I'm going to have to do some introspection and get back to you <laughs> right. if, if you want a real answer to that question. Yeah. Cuz I I just uh, I just don't buy that as a sole explanation. Yeah, yeah, and and I agree with you that it's an insufficient explanation. I agree. Yeah. And we don't we don't need the answer yet. We have, <laughs> we, have, we have time, so. Sure. Um, is there anything, I, I I feel like the greatness non-greatness thing, I mean we could get into it if you want to. I just I feel like I have a lot to say about it. About yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well. It, it and it seems it, it seems weird because um, I I started season four of this whole shebang on the the concept of gr- good versus good enough, which is not the same as great and is not the same as perfect. And I think that's I, I think that was a very deliberate thing because the concept of greatness, as I will explain in a um, potentially quite long essay uh, that. I assume anyone listening is well aware that I am writing and rewriting um, is that Steve committed what in every other era is considered a great thing, not a good thing, a great thing because he's now in Wikipedia. He was not in Wikipedia before he, he didn't become a, um, a noteworthy individual. No one is going to flag the Las Vegas incident or his, Wikipedia bio uh, for being unnewsworthy now. Yeah, you're talking about Steve Paddock. Steve Paddock, yes, the uh, the many many mass shooting murderer who hopefully will still be number one, and I don't say that for vain reasons, but for entirely humanitarian reasons. Um, that what he did in the context of what the word great means, he qualifies 
Because there are plenty of good people that don't get news articles written about them. Sure. Every great person gets news articles written about them. And yeah. I've had this aversion to the concept of greatness for a long time, and I don't want to cannibalize the essay. I'm going to write about it too much because uh, a lot of it revolves around this idea, this like not – it's not even a paradox. It's just this borderline vile fascination we have with the concept of greatness as opposed to goodness, which has been written to death about, but it's my turn, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> um I've always been wary of that kind of greatness, but it's it's such a reflex. Yeah, of course, of course, you want your app to be great. You want your app to be great. I mean, sure, it can be good, but great for whatever reason. We put them on this continuum when, as I think I just outlined as succinctly as possible, good and great are not on a spectrum with one another. They are conflated at best. Uh-huh. And that is a weird thing. I mean, you talk about you you want to be able to create great things, but you don't care about greatness because you don't care about I assume you don't care about your place in history like that's that's not sufficient to make your life worthwhile. I mean, if you have a legacy, that'd be cool. But yeah, like, yeah, to an extent, I care about it, I suppose. But it's it's not at the it's not at the forefront of my mind. And it's. But it, that's, Not right now, at least. But that's like the push and pull you've got yeah. is that you you want but don't want this. And I feel like to some degree, there's almost just a semantic argument at play here <laughs> sure. that um that the normal world doesn't disabuse you of, or for that matter, most people. Um, I don't know where you want to pick up in that just like <laughs> net I just threw out in the ocean, but I mean. It was your topic, so I'll let you go from here. Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking so much about the, the non-existent, as you point out, spectrum between good and great. Um, I, you know, I was, I was thinking like, okay, I, I want to provide the world with something great because that's going to be like something good. That's not sufficient to support me. Um, like, like if ultimately the goal with Habitest or whatever project that it is that I work on it's it's going to be the goal is going to be for it to support me something good's not going to do that something great is the only i think something great is the only thing that has enough that has enough power to do that why because something great is going to is that that's going to be the thing that people use. No one cares about about the good thing. You know, like with with all of the alternatives that people have for like habit tracking and like getting in good habits for things, doesn't really matter if you're over here on on the Pareto distribution. Like if if you're that is, if you're one of the one of the many people who makes something, but eh, it's just like okay, people don't really care about it. It's like all the social networks that people don't use because instead everybody's using Facebook, or okay, basically. So there are me- there are many alternatives to Facebook that people don't use because they're they're just good. So something great is the only thing that could actually be worthwhile enough for people to use, so that. I would end up being supported by it. It would suck if that's true. Even for a single person. I mean, I I, I don't have any evidence to contradict you because the nature of apps, I mean, there was always the idea 
back in the physical world days prior to the 80s uh, that, you know, first, second, and third place could split the spoils 40, 30, 20, and now Google owns 95% of all the search engine results. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Facebook is this absolute behemoth that nothing can even touch because of the network effect, because what is it, uh, Metcalf's law, the concept that the benefit of a network is quadratic mm -hmm. uh, versus its linear user base. I mean, that's that's very real in the age of the internet. And that's the game that I've decided to play. Yeah. And uh, by, by working on an app, that's the game that I'm playing. So as opposed to like just, just laying low, taking a nice salary, like just, just being comfortable with the however dozen thousand dollars a year that people are supposed to be happy with. Like, like I said no to that because that kind of job wasn't meaningful enough to me. So I deci decided to go play this other game where I'm faced with this whole other, like probably even worse set of conditions, but I did it anyway, stupidly, I think. It is, <laughs> this, this pulls back. I, you read The Fountainhead not terribly long ago. Yeah, that's correct. That's not Atlas Shrugged, but it's from the same author. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you what the difference, honestly, between the two books are, because I tried to read Atlas Shrugged, and I mean, I don't like fiction normally anyway, uh -huh. so the odds I was going to read any more than a couple pages of that were like zero percent <laughs> yeah um, i've not read atlas shrugged I, i've i probably have read like the first tenth of atlas i and i i don't want to just like assume that you you pulled anything in particular out of it but that's that's the kind of book that people take notice when you actually bother to crack um what is it about and did you take anything away from it about the fountainhead yeah what I took away from it is try. You should try to do something. You should try to be great. Um, and you should tell the truth. Like the, these are the things that are important. And, and like to, to, to be one of these, one of these people that just kind of skates along is, is kind of a, kind of a wussy thing to do. So so that that's how I felt like while I was an actuary, like I was just being a wuss, like sitting around in my cube all day, like working on Excel spreadsheets, like like not really doing anything that people are going to care about. Um, instead of like being a wuss with my life, I should like try and go build something great because that's that's what people of note should do. And and being a notable person is the only kind of person that uh, that someone should be. Otherwise, like you're useless. That's not necessarily true, but that's that's like that's the message that I got out of the book, and and something that I latched onto to a certain level, um, and and when I'm feeling like when I'm feeling inspired, like like that's that's what I decide is the meaning of life. Like I should be a non wuss, someone who makes something great for people to use. But on the other side of that, I'm thinking like, hold on a second, why? And who cares? Why should I do something like that? And isn't it sufficient? It isn't one's life sufficient enough, even if they're not a great person, like even if they're just contributing their small part to society or their small part to themselves and their family and things like this, I think that that can be okay too. Um, so I oscillate between the two. I oscillate between thinking like, like my life should be of maximal importance and 
my life should should just be okay and i should be okay with it just being okay it would be i mean i guess we're already talking about greatness so we are kind of talking about randy and philosophy at some level since that's a lot of the appeal of a book like atlas shrugged yeah. is it's what makes people be doctors instead of teachers and all the rest of that but the um i did not and, and i'll I, i'm willing to bet despite really not knowing all the many people in the camp of genuine Randianness, um, which is a strange word I just made up. Um, I feel like I am intrinsically like reflex almost in a gene like way in the Rand camp. And I hate every molecule of my body that adheres to that. Yeah. And I've spent virtually to go back to the idea that I am inspired. I constantly have schemes to some degree. The compound is one of these schemes of doing something that is either noteworthy or remarkable or, you know, everything that I start with as the idea for what I want to do is fantastical in some way. Uh -huh. And that adheres almost to the letter to the Randian ideal of what you should be doing with your life. And I resist that because every time I attempt to do that, it's not that I fail. It's that there is this other side of greatness. And again, this is why I have to I have to write this essay and probably put it out sooner than later. Um, th that makes me thoroughly unhappy when I actually do achieve even modicum, even like approaching those kinds of things. There's a, um, oh, what the hell was I about to say? Um, we talk about Tim Ferriss a lot. Yeah. And I doubt I would um, accidentally score an interview with him to ask him any of the relevant questions to clarify it. But I get the impression that Tim and a whole lot of other people like him even from some of his own like implicit admission is in this perpetual quest for satisfaction that even though he claims to be in this moment of Zen in his life, he's been claiming to be in that moment of Zen for so many years through so many different avenues. I think that the Randy inside of him has completely destroyed him on the inside and I, I don't know that it's possible to repair that damage, but if it is, it is going to require an act he is border he may not even be capable of. And I I fear that quite viscerally, and I have for a very, very long time. Is that why you, you said that you hate every molecule molecule of yourself that adheres to that sort of philosophy? That that all that is the good versus the great fighting yeah. itself okay. in my body. I don't know that I've specifically talked about it on the podcast before because it's a weird malformed idea that oscillates a lot of the time. But I sort of I sort of branch my personality into three different quadrants. Um and I give them names, which I won't give here because <laughs> that gets too complicated. I might do that down the line as an introverse episode because it would be interesting, but I don't I don't I the, I will summarize it here as sloppily as I can, but I basically have a thoroughly like emotional connection side. And then I have the hard numbers side. And then I have the moralistic self-hating side. And I say self-hating because I'm in a mode where I'm talking right now. And that one is not really showing through, but that's the one that prefers good to great. Uh -huh. And I constantly, and that one constantly gets 
lined up for vilification because <laughs> because the, the the side of me that doubts my accomplishments uh-huh. is a buzzkill. Uh, like, <laughs> well, obviously. like I don't like <laughs> listening to that side of me is not fun. Yeah, but the problem is that that side of me in the mid and long term has virtually never been wrong. <laughs> so it's got to stay around. Like I can't just ignore. And every time I do ignore it, I crash. Uh-huh. It happens every time. Um, and that's just, that's sort of a self-learned thing. I mean, and I'm also, despite being an Aspergerian, I definitely am not a robot. So I, you know, I've, I, I have that bit going for me one way or the other, but it, um, I, it's not that I could avoid this. It's not that I could just discard that side of my personality and go the other way, even if it didn't result in these like periodic disaster car crashes as it does. Um, but it's, this is of course the reason I brought up Fountainhead is so that I could rant about all of this <laughs> after your rant about all of the stuff you were talking about. Um, so to drag you back into this conversation, um, yes, I'm still here. No, 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 you are, you are. And I, again, I, this is me being selfish. This is, uh, just to allude to it. This is Jack talking of the three, but the, um, ah, it's the numbers oriented one. You've but, piqued my interest. Oh yeah. I'm looking no, forward to that. Episode. No, yeah. That's, that's episode nine. I guess it'll probably be, but the, um, but no, you want, do, do you want to be great under social pressure or is it internal? Do you feel like I, the world is forcing you to be great? Cause I don't no, know. No, I, I, th- I think it's an internal thing. It's, it's like, just, it's like, I've got this one life. How do we maximize the value of the life that we have? Obviously to live a great life. <laughs> like that's it. So it, it's not really a matter of other people telling me like, you should go like do this. It's just, it's just me thinking, well, this is how to maximize it. So that's what I've got to do. But again, on the other hand, I say like easy there killer, because that might not be the right answer. And actually, probably the case that I'm not going to be great. And probably the case that if I shoot for that, going to find disappointment. <laughs> so I've heard from, from people like the Stoics that it's sufficient just to be good. And, you know, maybe I should heed their advice. Stoics like Tim Ferriss. Ha. <laughs> who has been preaching this for how long now uh, you win th- you, that's, you win that's the you thing win. it's just that's, <laughs> that's the thing i constantly come well, back well, to who's, who's... We're, to- we're talking about so- stoic sages though like a stoic sage should be content with just being good tim ferris isn't a stoic sage he is the modern stoic sage he might be the poster boy for stoicism but that doesn't mean that he's the ideal manifestation of that philosophy well who's i mean who's the one he constantly goes back to marcus aurelius there we go marcus aurelius you know the fucking general Uh uh-huh he was the tim ferris of his day sure a venture capitalist maybe not it's a little bloodier in the grand scheme of things okay it's absolutely the tim ferris of his day yeah okay he writes a bunch like it's but 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 what about Epictetus? You know, like like the guy walking around with his barrel and asking that that guy, the uh, the the nobleman that comes by, who says, "What can I do for you, Epictetus?" 
I can do anything for you. You want riches? You want wine? You want women? Epictetus says, no, get out of the sun. You're blocking my sun. I'm in the park trying to get a tan. Oh, who's the guy? Uh, Tim had a guy like that. Um, it was some random world traveler guy uh-huh. who's a professional vagrant, practically. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. He has a thing where he, uh, he, get, he got really annoyed because he was watching a movie and someone some like stockbroker actor in the movie was talking about fantasizing about taking a motorcycle ride across China as if you had to retire from a stockbroking job to sure, afford sure. doing that. But uh, no, Tim, Tim's around a couple of people like that. But again, there's this, there's this insidious, <laughs> I just, I can't buy his story. It's just too, I, I just don't believe it. Uh-huh. And again, it's pot. It's possible I'm wrong, but holy shit. Does it make way more sense to believe that he's doing all of this to save his own soul? Which, I mean, that just, that story rings much truer to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. And I will not be caught dead with $100 million in venture capital money <laughs> for one reason or another. And I'd like to hope one of them is moral. And not just because I'm a lucky son of a bitch. But, um, yeah. Um, are you going to keep working on Habitest? Do you believe enough in the non-trough nature of this that you will quit it's not about the belief in the non-trough nature in fact i i think that it's probably not gonna result in that in in the end of the trough and this peak period out here like where it starts making a bunch of money for me that in some sense is irrelevant because i've made the commitment to work on it through august so it has to happen no matter what it's that obscene reasonableness coming back up well the reason the reason that i say something like that is is because if i go back on a promise like that that i make to myself then it just dilutes what i say to myself and others in fact but more importantly to myself in the future like i i won't if i go back on my promise to myself to work on this through august then when will I stop going back on my word to myself in the future? So like in August, if I just, I'll probably like, if Habitest is not working out at that point, I'll kill it. It'll be done. And I'll probably take like a month or two to figure out what the next step is. And then I'll make another medium term commitment, like maybe a year or maybe six months to something else to give it enough time to work out. Because if I just, if I go from thing to thing constantly, it's almost, it's nearly guaranteed that I'll never figure out what it is that I should be spending time on. Or it's probably the case that I'll never figure out a sufficient thing for me to spend my time on. So I have to stick to this through August. And that's why you're more disciplined and why I'm more inspired. (laughs) Because I consider my words to be essentially valueless once they leave my mouth (laughs) (laughs) ideas are cheap (laughs) i'm i'm glad that that we get to see this dichotomy here it's like okay where where is this so-called discipline gonna lead me and where is where is your discount down to zero once the words leave your mouth philosophy going to lead you i just wish it was easier for us to exploit the other that way because it seems like that should be a perfect fire and ice combination Uh i don't know if that's a good metaphor or not but um it's 
Because, it, it, you know, it's one of those random things where it's like, do you need discipline or inspiration? Like, it's, yeah. it's a stupid question. You need it. Neither is useful without the other. Yeah. Okay. But, well, well, discipline is just one part of it. You need competence, too. And I'm pretty fucking incompetent, man. There is a <laughs> lot of a lot of ways that both inspiration and discipline can compensate for competence. Um, okay. I mean, Build you, up some scaffolding. You can. Yeah. There's a lot of ways you can go. I mean, I am. I am a pro-grade flanker. Uh-huh. I am really good at laterally moving. It's like entirely my gig. So, and every time I try not to do that, I realize that I, again, am more inspired than disciplined. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to take the long way around. Um, it's but just you who can, we are. It's but you can, also, are. you can also just headbutt the wall down. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. You can absolutely do that. Um, I mean, that's why Habitus exists. Yeah. I'm not a good programmer, it's, but... It, it's, it's functional. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. had one problem with it, and you fixed it. It didn't work in uh, Safari, which, I mean, you don't yeah. own a Mac, so how would you know? But that, That's another incompetence thing there, right? It's like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a web developer that doesn't have a, a computer to, t- to test his stuff on, like a Mac to test his stuff on. Incompetence. Yeah, but then, <laughs> then you, fit, you didn't tell me. I mean, you're not like half a dozen other applets i use in uh various web browsers you didn't just say hey we only support chrome <laughs> well i would I, I i i will say that we only support chrome firefox safari internet explorer is not in here okay. Sorry, internet explorer. <laughs> not even edge not even the new <laughs> internet whatever <Explorer>. that is <laughs> uh, i guess that's yeah. true that's the other thing is you you have one linux box i have a mac a windows box 18 raspberry pies <laughs> i have ever again it just it seems like if we ever figured out how to be a team that it'd be all right i just have no idea how the hell to make that happen <laughs> well i guess talk to me after august yep i'll leave you alone until then <laughs> Corey, thanks for helping me restart this stupid thing thank you